Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. We call it Bible Crossfire because we want people to call in and get into the crossfire. Don't want this to just be a monologue, uh, one-way teaching street. I think I'd bore you to death, but that's the way it works. When you call in, that's what keeps the program interesting. If you have a Bible question or comment, just call in. Even if you disagree with something I say, we have room for that on this program for disagreement. We try to keep it respectful. And the only rule we have is the Bible itself decides the right answer to every single question or issue. Now, the last two or three weeks, we've been talking about how that we're going to be judged in four different areas. And actually, we're going to be judged in more than four areas, but I just did that for the outline. We've got to stop sometime. And the areas I picked out is we're going to be judged based upon our doctrine. We've talked about that. We're going to be judged based upon our morality. And we looked at a number of passages that say that we're going to be judged by our doctrine, say that we're going to be judged by our morality. You know, a lot of people listening today are probably part of churches that don't think you're going to be judged based upon your doctrine. But Second John 9 says, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine, there's the word, of Christ, hath not God, he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. We are going to be judged based upon our doctrine. If we don't abide in the doctrine, we don't have God. And of course, you can't be saved without the grace and mercy of God. We're going to be judged based upon our morality. We read uh, a couple of weeks ago, Revelation 21 verse 8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving, the abominable and murderers and and uh, the sexually immoral and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So that was one of a number of passages passages we read to prove we're going to be judged based upon our morality. And a lot of believers out there think, well, as long as you believe in Jesus, you're going to be saved. It doesn't really matter how you live. No, we showed that it does matter. Let's talk about a couple of applications of this principle that we're going to be judged based upon our morality. Number one, gay marriages. And number two, adulterous marriages must be terminated. Here's how Romans 1, 26 and 27 reads. For this cause, God gave them up into vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. Hmm. Verse 26 is obviously condemning what we call lesbianism, the women changing the natural use into that which is against nature. 27 is obviously condemning what we call gay men, the men leaving the natural use of the woman and burning in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly. Just to, to say it in a short way, the Bible in many passages, Old Testament and New Testament, condemns homosexuality. Gay marriage is condemned by the Bible. Yet, it's my guess that about 50% of the denominations out there, like the Presbyterian Church USA, like the United Methodist Church, like the Episcopal Church, like the Lutheran Church, have compromised over the last 20 years and now accept homosexuality, gay marriage. But God is going to judge us based upon our morality. If we practice homosex, 
Unless we change and repent of that, we're going to be lost, according to Romans 1, 26 and 27. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. We can't soften our stance. We want to say it in a gentle and kind way, but we have to be frank and tell the exact truth. Make sure people understand what we're saying. And what we're saying is, if you're gay, I don't care how many churches you go to. If you're gay and you don't repent, you can't be saved. And repentance means you stop the sin. You quit the sin. You make up your mind, you're going to quit it, and you follow through on it. And so we're talking about gay marriages, and many people listening will agree with that. But the consistent position is that also adulterous marriages have to be terminated, terminated too. Not just gay marriages have to be terminated, but adulterous marriages have to be terminated. Joe from Mississippi, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hey, Patrick, I, I, I've listened to you quite often, and I, I really appreciate your your uh, show, but I, I do have to lovingly correct you on something, and that is since God ordains marriage and since he performed the first marriage in the Scripture, and I think we would agree on that, only biblical marriage is recognized. We're falling into the worldly trap when we recognize something that's not biblical. So there's really no such thing as gay marriage. The, the world can call it whatever they want to, but as believers, we're not of the world. We're in it, but not of it. So to, to recognize something that the world has coined to be the same thing as what God created is is going into the worldly view of what God ordained. So I, I just, I, I don't recognize, I never have recognized, the government can call it whatever they want to, but it doesn't make it marriage. God defined marriage in the scripture between a man and a woman, period, in the discussion. So whatever else is happening is debauchery and it's fornication and it's homosexuality, but it's not marriage. So, Joe, I appreciate what you're saying. I don't think we're really on a different page, but let me tell you the way I think about it. When you say God does not recognize homosexual homosexual marriage, that's what you said, right? There's no such thing as marriage between Hold a man and a man because or, it's ordained by God. Right. Be, bear with me now. Bear, I can't bear with me, Joe. Did you mean when you said God does not recognize it that he doesn't know it's happening or that he does not no, approve no, no. of it? No, he do, it's, it's not marriage. Marriage okay. is identified in the scripture between a man and a woman, period. Okay, let me ask you this question. Now, let's go to Matthew 19. 9. I was about to talk about adulterous marriage. And Jesus said, whoever puts away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. You're familiar with that passage, right, Joe? I am. So if a man divorces his wife for incompatibility, say he, he divorces his wife, Joanne, and marries Bet for, for incompatibility and marries Betty, Jesus calls that marriage adultery, right? Correct. But that's between He's, the different sex. That's not the same yeah, sex. Yeah, I know. So I'm, I know. Am I, I'm, let me ask you, is that a marriage? Not in God's eyes. No, it's adultery. Okay. So all, that's, that's what I'm saying. You, we call it a marriage, even though God doesn't recognize it as a scriptural that's my marriage. Point. Right. That's, that's my, my point. So, so we're, we're in agreement. So, yeah, when we so say a gay marriage, married, they're not married. Okay. Okay. They're they're married in the eyes of the law of the land. Just like, hold on, just like in my scenario, if the man divorces his wife and marries a second woman, they're married in the eyes of the laws of the land, and God thinks both of them is the same way. He knows what's happened. He knows what's happened, and he says both of them are wrong. Now, are we on Correct. the same page, Joe? Correct. 
technically married. My, I'm, I'm not arguing with you, but my point is, as believers, we should look. I, I know that we're supposed to follow, you know, we're supposed to follow the rules of the, of the land and all this stuff. But ultimately, God's law and God's rule trumps in our lives everything that is in opposition to the Scripture. So my point I'm is, with you. is that. Right. So, I'm in so agreement when I with look you. at a homosexual couple and they went and got a court certificate that says they're married, I don't recognize that as being a biblical marriage no more than God does, is my point. Okay, so hold on. So what about if a man divorces his wife for incompatibility and marries another? Do you recognize that as a marriage? Absolutely not. It's adultery. Okay, so, so, so we're in agreement, Joe. Neither one of them are recognized as approved by God. A homosexual marriage biblical. and adulterous, a homosexual marriage and an adulterous marriage are the same thing. They're the same thing. Correct. God, and, and God, I don't want to call them marriages. That's my point. They shouldn't even be right. called marriages because marriage is specifically ordained and described in Scripture. So, okay, I, I, but I think Joe, on the same page. I'm just, I'm not trying. Joe, to I don't words, have. I can't let you talk. I can't let you talk so much. Okay, because I'm the sorry, time is very valuable. <laughs> And you're, you're dominating the conversation. You won't even let me say anything. Jesus calls what you call, said is not a marriage in Matthew 19, 9. Jesus calls it a marriage. He says, and marries another, they commit adultery. So God, Jesus knows it's happening. They got married. But Jesus doesn't recognize it as scriptural. And so they're both wrong. They're both unscriptural. Gay marriage and adulterous marriages are both wrong. Marriage is defined by man. Two men get, a man and a woman get married. That's in the eyes of man, in the eyes of the state of Alabama. It could be a gay marriage or an adulterous marriage. Their marriage is according to the eyes of men, but God says, well, I see both of them happen, but both of them are unscriptural. Steve from Texas, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hi there. Can you hear I'm me? Sorry. Yeah, I can say hear you fine, Steve. Sorry you got in on the tail end of that. That was my problem. Oh, that's fine. Um, I've been I've been a Baptist all my life, and uh, Baptists, you know, believe in water baptism after salvation. And I didn't, you know, I didn't believe any differently than that my whole life until recently. I finally read the Bible, and it doesn't seem to me that the Bible supports water salvation in the in in today's in the age of grace. Um, it looks to me like water salvation was only for the period of time that Jesus was on the earth before he was crucified. And water baptism in Matthew 3.11, uh, John the Baptist calls uh, ma- uh, water salvation the baptism of repentance. And uh, there are other places in the Bible, you know, there's a, a Acts chapter 1, verse 5, it says, John truly baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, not many days hence, which that's the Jesus talking. And then there are other places. There's uh, 1 Corinthians one seventeen, where, where uh, the Apostle Paul says uh, that God did not... Uh, uh, Steve, did not I'm going to try to cut you off here. I'm going to try to cut you off. What you're saying is, I think, and we're going to deal with one point before we go to another, is okay. that... You think that people had to be baptized in water to be saved at one point in time, but not anymore. That's what you're basically saying, right? No, not for salvation. Uh, the baptism by water was the baptism of repentance, according to uh, John the Baptist in Matthew 3.11. And I think 
the baptism by water was significant to wash away the sins uh, because the sins sins of the world had not yet been dealt with by Christ on the cross. Okay, and, let's, let's, let's go with this. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Of course, okay. we're agreed it was really, let's go to Acts 2.38. Peter's talking yeah. to believers, and Peter tells yeah. his believers, repent and be baptized, yeah. everyone in you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Is Do you think that's talking about water baptism? Yes. Okay, but, doesn't it say it's for the remission of sins? But, but... This is uh, this is still. Um, I, I don't want to split hairs with you, but I guess I want to have to. Okay, um, go ahead and Acts, split them. Acts up to, up through chapter seven of Acts is uh, the gospel of the kingdom, and then when Stephen is stoned and killed, and Jesus, the ascent of Jesus, stops um, Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus road, and he's converted. Okay. All right, that's, Steve, that's let's try to be a little the, more concise because I've got other callers waiting. What you're saying is up until about Acts 7 or 8, they had to be baptized to be saved, but after Acts 8, they didn't, right? Is that what you're really saying? Because I'm not, saying, I'm, not, I'm not saying at all that they had to be baptized in order to be saved. I'm saying that water baptism was the baptism that was in place uh, for the repentance of sins, that it was needed for the repentance of sins because Christ had not gone to the cross and bore our sins on the cross in our place. Um, Well, but that's, of course, this this is not what the Bible teaches, okay? So Acts 2.38 was after that, and it says baptism is for the remission of sins. And Acts chapter 10, which is a long shot past Acts chapter 8, he says, I'll just read it to you, in Acts chapter 10... He says, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? Acts 10, 47. And, they, and he commanded them to be baptized. That's water yeah. baptism. And then 1 yeah, Peter 3, I, 21, 1 Peter 3, 21 came decades after this. And Peter says, baptism doth also now save us. And it's obviously talking about water baptism because he, he goes back, he brings up water, knowing his eight souls were saved by water. Verse 20, the like figure went to baptism doth also now save us. He's obviously talking about water baptism. This is decades after Acts 8, many decades after. And Peter's saying, present tense, baptism doth also now save us. So it's clear. I know that's pretty clever what some people do. But the Bible conclusively proves that the water baptism of the Great Commission that you have to submit to to be saved, Jesus said, he that believeth, and is baptized shall be saved. In Matthew chapter 28, still talking about the baptism of the Great Commission, Jesus says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. The implication is there that this baptism of the Great Commission that you have to do to be saved, Mark 16, 16, is going to last until the end of the world. And even in Acts 2, what we just read, in Acts 2, he told believers to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, obviously saying you got to be baptized to get your sins forgiven. And the very next verse says that it's going to last for for all time. Verse 39, Acts 2, verse 39 says, he just gave them the promise, 
Here's the promise. If you'll repent and be baptized, you'll get the remission of sins. He says, for the promises unto you, that's those Jews, to your children, that's the, the descendants of the Jews, to all that are far off, that's the Gentiles, according to Ephesians 2, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so does the Lord God call Jews and Gentiles today to be saved? Does he ask them to be saved? If the answer to that is yes, then everybody knows that the answer is yes. Then verse 39 then is teaching that this command, this promise in verse 38 is to last till the end of the world. And that promise is if you'll repent and you'll be baptized, you'll get the remission of sins. And this is talking about water baptism. So water baptism is still for the remission of sins. It will be till Jesus comes back. And that's what the Bible teaches. Now, this way of trying to get around that to say it was only temporary, that's just a way to get around what the Bible says instead of accepting what it says. Robert from Georgia, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Robert, you're on the air. Robert, can you hear me? Tony from Florida, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, sir. How you doing? Um, I'm calling because... um. Um, in Exodus, uh, the Ten Commandments, Exodus um, verses um, eight to eleven, where it says, uh, "Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy." Um, my question is, um, for the millions or hundreds of millions of Christians that um, that are, are going to church on Sundays instead of Saturday, um, are resting on the Sabbath day, um, will, will they all be judged according to um, according to their works? So, Tony, have you ever considered Colossians 2, 14 through 17 as blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross? So this is talking about Jesus blotting out some ordinances, some laws, and he took them out of the way and nailed them to the cross. And then he tells you some of the ordinances he's talking about. Verse 16, he says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day over the new moon or of the Sabbath days. So, Tony, this passage and a number of others specifically says the Sabbath is no longer binding. Just like in the Old Testament, they were commanded to do animal sacrifices. That's no longer binding. In the Old Testament, they were commanded to circumcise their little boys at eight days old. That's no longer commanded. It was a sin to eat pork and catfish. All of those things were sins under the Old Testament. But now this passage is saying, just like those, the Sabbath has been blotted out taken out of the way and nailed to the cross, Tony. So the Sabbath is no longer binding. So, of course, this is saying we're not to judge people based upon the Sabbath. You ask, are those people going to be judged? And verse 16 says, do not judge people based upon the Sabbath commandment. Do you see that in Colossians 2, Tony? Okay. Yeah. Now, okay. you ask about the first okay. day of the week. Well, did you know Acts 20, verse 7 says, the disciples came together on the first day of the week to break bread and have preaching, do the Lord's Supper the first day of the week. Did you remember in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul commands the Christians there to, t to have a collection on the first day of the week? So the Christians that worship on the first day of the week are just doing exactly what God commanded and instructed. Instead of, we're not bound by the Old Testament law anymore. If we were, we'd have to do the animal sacrifices. We'd have to, we'd have to circumcise our little boys. We're under the law of Christ, not the law of Moses now, Tony. Go ahead, Tony. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh no no I'm I'm good I, I I was just um I was just curious because I'm uh, um I was watching a, a video where um someone was speaking of um we're supposed to um 
rest on the Sabbath day and do no work or anything. So I was just curious. That's why I asked. But I think, yeah, you can you um, see that? Can you see that from Colossians 2 that he said Jesus blotted out these ordinances and nailed them to the cross and he gives the Sabbath as one of the examples of the ordinances he blotted out and nailed to the cross? Well, I'm going I'm to look at that. But I thank you okay. very much. Thank you for being so open minded. Thank you for calling, Tony. You're welcome. Robert, are you there from Georgia? Are you there? Robert from Georgia? So we were talking about how that, um, about baptism being necessary for the forgiveness of sins. Well, let's go to Saul himself. The caller mentioned about Saul himself. Did you know that Saul had to be baptized to get his sins forgiven? And the caller was saying, with the advent of Paul, things were going to change that before Paul, you had to be baptized to be forgiven of your sins. And after Paul, you didn't. But but notice, on the road to the, Paul was appeared, excuse me, Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. We remember that. That's where, Acts 9, Acts 22, Acts 26. Paul believed in Jesus on the road to Damascus. He says, what will you have me to do? So he says, go into the city to be told you what to do. In the meantime, Jesus sends Ananias to Paul to tell him what to do. And here's what Ananias told Paul to do. Acts 22, 16, he says, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So it is certainly not true that with the advent of Paul, people did not have to be baptized to get their sins forgiven anymore. As a matter of fact, Paul himself was not saved when he believed on the road to Damascus. He was saved, He was his sins were washed away by the blood of Christ at least three days later when he was baptized, according to Acts 22, 16. Simply taught over and over and over again that a person has to be baptized to be saved. And of course, people are going to be looking for ways to get around that. They're going to be looking for ways to get around that. And But it's, we can show that this baptism for the remission of sins was to last to the end of time, Matthew 28. That Acts 2.39 is even clear that it's to last as long as God calls people to be saved, then this promise is going to be for them. Whoever will repent and be baptized will get the remission of sins. Paul himself taught you had to be baptized in water to be saved. Uh, I don't know why people think that Paul taught faith-only salvation. He never did any such thing. In Romans 6, verse 3, he says, Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? So you have to be baptized in to get into Jesus Christ. You're baptized into Jesus Christ. Somebody says, well, is that water baptism? Well, if you read verses 4 and 5, you'll see it is water baptism. Here's how that reads. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, what kind of baptism is that talking about? It's not talking about Holy Spirit baptism. It's talking about water baptism because it's saying, this is something you're buried into, like you're buried into the water, and it's the likeness of the burial and resurrection of Christ. That's immersion in water. It looks like the burial and resurrection of Christ. That's why this passage is why the Baptists immerse people when they water baptize folks, because they're trying, they understand this is saying that baptism should be an immersion, water baptism. And Paul says here, you're baptized. He's talking about water baptism in the context, you're baptized into Christ. Paul says something similar in Galatians 3. Now, this is Paul talking. The caller said, well, 
With the advent of Paul, you didn't have to be baptized to be saved anymore. But look at Galatians 3, 26 and 27. And let's look at what he taught. He says, for you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So he said, you become a child of God by faith. And then 27 begins with this little word for, which means to introduce the reason. So the reason that you're a child of God by faith is because you've been baptized into Christ. The way you became a child of God by faith is by being baptized into Christ. And we know this is talking about water baptism because baptism into Christ is defined by Romans 6, 3 through 5 as water baptism. Something that looks like is a picture of the burial and resurrection of Christ. That's immersion into water. Water baptism is how you get into Christ. This is how you become a child of God by faith. If you would like to have a free one-hour phone Bible study with me sometime at your convenience, call or text me at 256-682-9753. Call or text me for a free one-hour phone Bible study at your convenience at 256-682-9753. 